Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, my name is Drew Johnson, and this is episode 18 of the Brews and Bruins podcast. If you've ever tuned in before, you know this podcast can be a little silly, usually us getting drunk, making fools of ourselves, and tackling our ideas about the Boston Bruins and just the sport of ice hockey in general. Uh, But this is going to be a a very different episode. On May 25th, 46-year-old George Floyd was murdered by Officer Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And for more than two weeks now, people have taken to the streets, not just across the United States, but across the world, protesting police brutality against black people, as well as systemic racism as a whole. We know we are a hockey podcast. However, tonight we have put our beers aside. We have a platform to speak to people, an opportunity to shed light on our own thoughts on this very important issue. It would not feel appropriate, I suppose, to simply crack a few beers, tell some jokes, and entertain you for an hour or more without acknowledging this issue. This is something that just simply goes beyond sports. We took last week off to give space for other voices uh, to be shared about this issue, not just those who study race in America, not just news anchors and celebrities, but every black person who has become victims of this systemic issue within our society. This week, we will add our voices about not only racism within our country, but also within the game we know and love, ice hockey. But with that, I'll pass it on to my co-hosts, Chris Gear and Cam Hasbrook, to maybe just share what's been going through your heads over the past couple weeks. Yeah, so I thought it was important to take last week off uh, for mainly the reason you mentioned, but also so each one of us uh, could take some time to do some research, really gather our thoughts on this, and as well as promoting uh, materials for other people to do research and, and kind of um, make sure that we're using our modest platform in a positive way in the, in this conversation. Um, and yeah, this is uncomfortable. Um, it's always going to be uncomfortable when you realize something that you've been doing hasn't been good enough for basically as long as you've been a human being. Um, we as white people need to recognize that we're complicit in in this system. We've allowed this to happen for way too long. Um, and yeah, that's going to be uncomfortable. Um, it's tough to talk about, but we need to talk about it. And it's our jobs to talk about it because it's our problem. Um, I I think about the, the ways that I, I've been really introspective over the past few weeks and just thinking about like, all of the terrible things I've allowed to happen personally. Um, and over the past couple of weeks, I've, I've also had some, some very tough conversations. Um, but I've also had some good little pushes from people in those conversations and some things that maybe I wouldn't have done otherwise where 
just had this one little moment where I'm like, well, you know what? It wouldn't be that hard to do this. And, and maybe I should say something about this in, in this situation. And, and I'm, it's been so many little instances and I hope that it's helping to make things a little bit better. And I, I wanted to use this opportunity on this podcast to maybe be that little push for somebody else. Um, if we can, if we can do that and, and get any amount of people to start making things a little bit better, that's a step. You pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I mean, in general, the problem of racism is, um, one that is older than, you know, the country that the three of us live in and, it has been uh, the lifelong stain on the United States. I think a lot of people growing up in the United States are, I guess white people especially really, are kind of taught that racism is almost a thing of the past and you learn about you know, the Civil War and things like that and the Civil Rights Movement and we're kind of taught to think that, uh, you know, that it is something that is you know, part of our history and, and part of the past but something that's not as prevalent today and Obviously, uh, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, that experience is so far from the truth for anyone who's not white. Um, and obviously, the circumstances that brought us to this spot today are extremely tragic. Um, just beyond words, and the it's it's not new. You know what I mean? It's it's something that's been going on for a while, and. Um, it's finally really picking up the movement now that it deserves, but um, hopefully what we've seen over the last few weeks is is really... I know for me personally, I'm only 22 years old, but this is the most steam that I've seen uh, this movement gather just to address racism, uh, not just in one industry or one sector, um, but really just on a, on a broad societal scale, and not even like I think both of you mentioned here in the United States, but on a global scale, uh, that really the whole world is focused on this in the middle of a, a global pandemic, um, it kind of goes to show you that this is really far-reaching and and is such an important thing. Um, I mean, again, like there's there's a global pandemic on right now, and you have millions of people marching in the streets across the world, not even just here in the United States, to address this and putting themselves at risk so that they can be a voice uh, for those who have um, kind of just. Not I don't want to say remain voiceless, but those who have been looked over for so long. Um, like Chris said, this is a very modest platform that we have, and like Drew said, this is not the usual uh, tone of our our podcast, as anyone who's listened to us before knows. But it is something that you know, if we can have any push in this whatsoever, we obviously want to uh, play a role and, and help move that platform along. So here we are. I hope we can uh, you know address what needs to be addressed and and help push that conversation forward a little bit yeah and i even i even kind of see it as our duty to do that because we have an audience whether it's we get 10 listeners on an episode or 100 or if we had 10 million you know like we have a platform where we can discuss this and i think it's important to not just ignore it and you know just give it that space and be like okay that's happening but on to you know what we normally do i think it's important to take a minute and like talk about it and something you had said, Cam, about, you know, I guess education, like how we learned, you know, this, about the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement. It's very much, I think I think that's where it really starts is people need to get educated because 
you know, in public school, they teach you like, oh, yes, we had slaves and it was bad. But then, you know, the Civil War and it's over now. And so it got better. And then, yeah, it was a little messed up. There were Jim Crow laws. There was uh, separate but equal and all that. But then there was a movement and it's better now. And that's just what they keep saying. It got better and better. But still, that same thing is in place. It's systemic where it's just making it harder for black people to succeed it's a harder road for them and like police brutality aside that's a symptom of it is how i see it it's just a symptom where white people are just put ahead systematically through policy through laws through different things where unless you look hard for it you're not going to see it um but i think you know the past two weeks it's just become very apparent um yeah and 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 sorry go ahead drew Oh, I was just going to say again, like what Cam said, I th- I, I'm i really happy it's like getting all of this attention now. Um, I think a big part of that is because the virus is going on, you, this is what people are just pouring their heart and soul into right now. A lot of people aren't in work. A lot of people aren't in school. This is their, they feel is their duty. Um, and I'm glad there are a lot of people, including myself, that have felt that way and gone to protests and stuff. Yeah, so I think before we address address anything specific, uh, just want to say a couple of things for people who may be on a different wavelength right now, who maybe haven't been seeing all this necessarily as much as we've been diving into it. Um, first and foremost, uh, don't ever respond, respond to anybody saying Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matter. The whole point of this is that black voices have been silenced for so long and black people feel as though their lives don't matter uh, in comparison to white lives and saying all lives matter in response to black lives matter is continuing to diminish that and uh, just recognize that white privilege exists and white privilege doesn't necessarily mean your life hasn't been hard it means your life hasn't been hard because of the color of your skin um, and at least being able to recognize those two things is at minimum a, and a fine first step. And yeah, it's, it's okay to struggle with this at the beginning, but I mean, we have to be making an effort. And if you can't make that first step, then you're part of the problem. I mean, at, at the end of the day, obviously this is a problem that is, to put it kind of bluntly caused by white people you know um and that's an uncomfortable thing to address for a lot of people whether or not you are someone who is i don't want to say directly responsible but you know there there comes a point where doing nothing is as bad as as being an aggressor in that sense and i think um that's kind of the next step is recognizing that yes, as a white person, you do have privileges in this country and in a lot of countries around the world. Uh, that, but you know, especially in the United States, that people of color do not have. And recognizing that, like Chris said, is is an important first step. Um, but also acting on that, not just being complacent. And I think that's one of the changes that we've seen, especially in the sports world, that we'll get into later. Um, but kind of people starting to recognize and and talk about that that you know they have kept to themselves because this is an uncomfortable topic for people uh, no matter what color your skin is but to kind of overcome that and say 
look, this is important that we are having these uncomfortable discussions and that, you know, leaving it alone and staying away from it and not perpetuating it isn't enough, that you have to actually play a role in making it better. And I think uh, that is definitely one of the things that I've seen uh, from people who, honestly, I wouldn't have expected, you know, without naming any names, to go out and um, really kind of use their platforms. Starting to see that now is, uh, you know, that's a really good thing. And I just want to say, because I, I talk about it being systemic a lot, and I just wanted to give an example. Uh, one big thing is like the suburbs. Back when the suburbs were just starting to, I guess, not come out, but, you know, flourish and stuff, they were white-only towns. They did not let black people into a lot of these towns. And they were designed, you know, the cookie-cutter houses, the white picket fence. It was designed for rich white people. Um and then you see a lot of my minorities kind of stuck in the urban areas in the cities. And if you look at the fundings that some of these places get, it, the suburbs tend to have way better schooling and way better just a lot of different facets that are government funded than urban areas. And that kind of stuff is in some ways by design. And that's kind of, you know, it is a systemic issue. It's not as prevalent as slavery was or as separate but equal was it's it's just still there and it's just you know the biggest thing people need to do is just learn about it just if if you're not going to protests if you're not you know speaking out about it take the time and learn research this stuff um because it's very important and it's the it's the least you can do it's it's work and it's not fun I mean, you're not going to have fun reading about this stuff. It's going to be really depressing, and you're going to open your eyes to a lot of things that you didn't realize were going on. Um, and, but it's super important, and it's not your black friend's job to educate you on racism. They've been dealing with it their entire lives. It's There are very helpful black people out there giving us these resources, but there are also some great white allies doing that job as well find these resources it's not hard they're all over the internet do research research our history research police brutality research why all of this is happening and just understand that it is still happening and it is incredibly prevalent and it's it's horrible yeah like you said this is as as white people it's very easy to just kind of be oh you know out of sight out of mind and and that sort of thing and I think it's kind of really really crucial to understand that this is it's it's your duty to address these things um, you know it's not just something that you can could do when it's convenient for you because that's not how racism works it's not you know that's not how it works for for people of color it's that's just their everyday life and. Um, to kind of diminish that by only diving into it and only stepping up or, you know, being a positive change, I guess, when it's convenient for you is, is really just doing a disservice to human beings that are around you. So it's it's important to recognize that this is an everyday thing and it's not something that's going to change in a week or two weeks. And obviously what we've seen over the last couple of weeks has been an excellent step in the in the right direction. Um, but, you know, eventually these protests are going to die down. Um, this can't last forever, obviously. I think it's going to keep going for a little while, as it certainly should, um, because it's drawing so much attention. But 
Um, you know, obviously, all the statements that are being made now are great, but at the end of the day, two, three, four months from now, years from now, decades from now, you need to make sure that you're still backing up those words and those statements with actions because at the end of the day, words can only do so much and it's it's really the actions that you, you know, undertake that are going to make a difference. Yeah, and I think just one more thing that I'll add about it is kind of going back to what I was talking about with learning, like, oh, it's better now that's you know, we freed slaves, so it's better. Oh, they had this the movement, the civil rights movement, so it's better. With this, do not settle for it's better. You want to see actual change in policy, in laws, in who you vote for, who gets elected to office at every level. Substantial change needs to come of this. Um, this this movement just has so much power and force behind it right now, more than I can remember during my lifetime of any. Because there there have been just so many instances where people have you know gotten up in arms about a black person being murdered by police officers um this has an incredible amount of power behind it and it can really go somewhere if people don't just be like okay so they made this one change and it's going to be fine now just keep you know make sure you know what you want to see change yeah and and make sure you're continuing to do that not just in these coming weeks but forever and (laughs) until you fucking die um (laughs) Because I so some of the things that that I've been researching, um, especially important now, is is making sure you're voting for the right candidates. And I've been finding out that uh, things like mayors having incredible amounts of power over budgets. And recently, San Diego passed a twenty-seven million dollar increase of the San Diego Police Department budget, which puts it over five hundred and fifty million. When nothing else in their budget comes even close. And a lot of people were really angry about this vote uh, with a lot of progressive city council members voting yes for this uh, for this measure. And, and it was confounding. And so I wanted to do a little research into it. Why are these city council members who were elected by people who wanted their representation to have progressive thought? Why were they voting for this measure that seemingly everybody out in the streets is opposing? And. It turns out if you are in city council and you vote against a measure, the mayor can just circumvent that and get money elsewhere to pay for what he wants. And and basically, that $27 million could have just come out of the budgets for the districts of the city councilors who voted against that measure. And there's an argument there where you could say, hey, maybe you should have just made a statement and make make the mayor look like an asshole uh but they were able to scrape some some small things out of it that uh that are positive for the cause and and i guess what we need to do is make sure we're voting for mayors who aren't going to uh, abuse these loopholes and who do really have the best interests of their constituents in mind um yeah I, i'm seeing a lot of good things across the country that they're, they're the defund the police movement like it, read about why the poli- the current state of policing is not working uh, not to mention just the absurd abuse of power and and how much brutality there is out there and and racial profiling and 
all of these things are bad, but also there's a deeper level to it. Why current policing isn't working and how terrible their their rates of solving cases are and what methods they're using to get these things done do some research on that stuff it's it sucks it not a lot positive about it um it's not fun but make sure you're you're voting for people who are put in positions to change these things yeah on that note make sure you're going to (laughs) this is like the inner journalist within me but make sure you're going to resources that actually are legitimate. Um, I think, obviously, there's been a lot of talk on social media about uh, defunding the police and things like that. Um, I've seen a lot of just flat-out fake news slash propaganda about, oh, you know, if you defund the police, you're not going to be able to call 911 if you have an emergency and that sort of thing. That is not at all what it's about. It's about understanding how large some of these budgets are and again recognizing kind of what Chris said that you could divert a lot of that money to other sectors and make lives better for a lot more people and focus on healing instead of punishing it's it's similar to and it's related to honestly the war on drugs where um you know instead of spending all this money to put drug users in jail why don't we invest in systems that will help them recover and prevent it in the first place that's kind of the same thought process here we're not getting rid of all of the police somebody you know breaks into a store or your house is on fire or something like that it's not like you're not going to be able to call 911 it's just recognizing that that money that is being poured into pretty much solely the police department right now can go other places as an example right now I was on Twitter earlier and I saw something that shocked me and I'm not sure if you guys saw this but I'm sure it'll shock you uh, from the Twitter account Public Citizen tweeted out that the NYPD's budget which is $6 billion would make it the 33rd largest military spender on the entire planet um, that's absurd <laughs> I, I mean it was retweeted by um, AOC saying that that's more than the city spends on health uh, youth housing and homeless services combined you can redirect a lot of that money into those services and help solve the problem instead of just putting people in jail or, or perpetuating the system of of um, just heavy police forcing and and just kind of changing the whole structure of um, you know the way our society works and like Chris said about voting I mean I think so many people are a, either just not um, politically coherent, I guess, because politics are controversial or divisive or people just yell at each other and I don't like it because nothing gets done. Well, guess what? Things do get done, especially at the local level, and I cannot stress that enough. I've talked to friends of mine about actually starting another podcast about local politics and what you can do, not even just statewide or citywide, but just in your local community to make things better. Um, And I've had this discussion with a lot of people because I feel like a lot of people who are privileged and, you know, don't have to worry about politics because they've never been put in a position um, because they're, you know, middle class or upper class white people, that the politics don't really affect them that much because the law is being passed. They're fine either way. And 
kind of like you know the race problem in America, and it is directly related. But for people who are affected by that, it's not something that they can just sweep under the rug. That these things really do matter, um, and obviously, the leadership on a national scale here has been absolutely atrocious and. There are so many things wrong with how the federal government has handled this, and particularly the executive branch, but um, there is more beyond that. And like Chris said, knowing who you're voting for, not only every four years in the presidential election or even every couple of years for congressional elections, but right here in your city or your state or your town um, can have a tremendous impact. I mean, like like I said, that $6 billion NYPD budget it's not decided on by Donald Trump, it's decided on by the New York government. So that's something that um, people really should be paying more attention to because a lot of the changes that you want to see happen in your own community, you do have a voice for. And the idea that either, A, I don't like politics, like I said, because it's just people arguing and it's controversial and I don't like that, or B, because it doesn't affect me, it's just not a good enough excuse. It's 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 your duty, I think. I mean, I, we live in a country where we have the power and and the right, and I feel a duty to um, to vote and and to have a say in our democracy. And that's not just on the national level; that is at the local level. And and it's so important that people recognize that because that is how you solve these problems. Yeah, and <clears throat> kind of going on the the local aspect of it. Yeah, do like when you're researching policies for, you know, presidents or senators and stuff, research that in your local government as well. Like go that heavy into it because you can make a very big change on that level. And also know the history of your community, whether it's with this or other things, even if it's bad, know that it will explain a lot about the culture of where you live, whether it's your town, your state country as a whole, it can tell a lot. Like I live in Reading, Massachusetts and a big thing, in terms of racism that occurred here, I'll say it's a very white town, suburban town. Uh, Bill Russell lived here, one of the greatest basketball players ever. Uh, he lived in Reading, Massachusetts in the 60s. And I knew it, I knew this, and there was some racism around it. And I, I, I picked this up from, I'm going to just read a sentence from Wikipedia. It plugs a source here. So do more research on it yourself. But I thought this was just a small you know, piece of it. Basketball player Bill Russell lived in Reading in the 1960s at this address. I'm not going to give the address. Um, and then actually later moved to another address. At one point, vandals broke into the basketball player's home and damaged his property, leaving racial epithets in their wake. And then Russell eventually left Reading. So they're in my town. That's a huge stain. That was a part of the culture then. They did not want black people in my town even though it was somebody who went on to become the best Boston Celtic of all time. And it's just, just know it's important to learn that as a, like a societal cultural thing, what has happened in your town, what has happened in your city, your state, whatever, because it can explain a lot of how you got here and what you need to do to change that. Even if that was in the sixties, there's still, you know, that culture societal thing where we still are a very white town and very much just not diverse and you know it just well yeah i mean how many people do you think decided not to live in reading massachusetts because of the publicity of bill russell not wanting to live there exactly Mm -hmm. i don't quote this number but i don't because i don't know the exact number but in the 2010 census it was in the upper 90s 90 percent white people 
the rest, whether it was black, uh, Latino, Asian, like it's just, yeah, research where you live and know that because it explains a lot about the culture and a lot about where you need to take that culture on a local level. All right. At, at this point, I, I do have to say um, I, I can sense like through through the ether people listening to this and getting defensive like well why what's so bad about white people why are you talking shit about white people and that's not what this is about we're not saying that white people are all bad we are saying that white people as a whole need to change this complacency uh is complicit in in this system of white supremacy and it doesn't mean that you the listener are a bad person you just need to get better and all white people need to get better we can all be better it's just because we're on this podcast talking about this stuff doesn't make us great people it doesn't mean we can't get better and we can all get better um i just don't want to discourage people from hearing this message because they feel defensive about it your first reaction shouldn't be to be defensive but if it is that's not unreasonable the second reaction should be all right this is real i need to take some responsibility for this yeah and i think i think what you're saying and being uh complicit it's just as a very boiled down example but if you see somebody you see a bully bullying someone who's basically helpless in the situation and you're standing there and watching you might as well be bullying that person you're not intervening you're not getting help you're just watching and that's the you know doesn't mean you're racist if you're watching these things happening but you aren't taking action and people need to take action that's where people need to change yeah it's no longer good enough just to be not racist yeah be exactly. actively anti-racist yeah mm-hmm. um i think that's i mean obviously a very important point like chris said i think um a lot of people have a tendency to be defensive when this kind of conversation comes up and whether that's because of prejudices you hold or if it's just the fact that again it's a very uncomfortable conversation i mean again we are three white males discussing this it's not the most comfortable thing for us too but we're doing it because it is an important topic and um you know kind of recognizing i think just self-reflecting throughout all of this and recognizing what your reactions are and the kind of introspection like Chris was talking about. Think about the experiences that you've had in your past. Look, no one is perfect. I'm sure everybody has situations, not just with regards to race, but with everything in your life where, you know, something happens and you might immediately be defensive about it, but, you know, later on you think back on you think, you know, here's what I probably should have done differently, that sort of thing. Everybody has been there. There will be situations like that in the future too. It's you know it's not like everybody's going to be perfect after this, but um, the important thing is is making a a really concerted effort to recognize when those situations are happening at the time, and rather than soaking away from it because it's uncomfortable, taking that extra step and doing something. You know that's that's where change happens. Um, I don't know if you guys have another point right on this. I had something to is say about it? what Drew, but keep going if you have something. Is well, a, like, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to segue off of this, but I, I did want to mention that 
so I'm sure in the course of even this conversation, we've said something wrong. We've, Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this and there's something that is wrong and you can back that up by all means, tell us and uh, we'll be receptive to that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up was, um, Ben Scrivens had a really good, uh, post about this former NHL goalie. Um, and the first comment underneath it was something criticizing something he said in his statement. And it doesn't negate the fact that it was a good statement. He, and he didn't get defensive about it. He didn't ignore it. He said, wow, thank you. I appreciate you saying that from now on. I will not say that, or I forget the exact example that was given, but I think it was referring to uh, people of color instead of black people. Um, because this is a, a black issue, not an issue of people of color and it's not to minimize there have been issues for other people of color and indigenous peoples. This is the black lives matter movement. This is, uh, primarily their fight right now. Yeah. What I was just going to say is that we could, we could really, and I literally talk about this for hours and hours, but I know there's other stuff we wanted to get to. And I think, well, personally, I think I've kind of said what I want to say on the podcast about this i'm wondering if you guys have anything else to say and want to yeah i feel the same way i could hockey i I have one more thing just that that loops back to kind of something that that drew talked about earlier which um you know talking about his hometown of of reading mass um which is another conversation that i saw on social media that i think is really important i think um like like drew said studying not only the history but um, you know what's going on nowadays in your own town, regardless of where you live, because I think a lot of people see racism historically as a southern issue. And as three people who grew up in the north, obviously that's not true. And you know, you look at where all this started. Minneapolis, Minnesota, is about as far north as you can go in the United States. Just because you're in an area that doesn't have an overtly racist history, you know, just because you don't have a Confederate statue in your town hall or whatever, in your town center, doesn't mean that that's not a, an issue that has plagued your town, your city, your state, whatever, for a long period of time. So this really does affect everybody coast to coast, north, south, east, west, in the United States and across the globe, as we've seen. Um, but don't don't feel like this is something that you can just sweep under the rug because of where you live geographically. Um, this is something that that every every black person really has dealt with in the United States, regardless of where they live. It's not just down in in the South, you know. Yeah, you got anything else, Chris? Before I like I said, I know like I have a cr- shitload to say about this, but yeah, I, mean, I wanted to I, eventually we'll, get to the hockey side of it. We'll continue to have this conversation many yeah. times over but yeah I'm, I'm good for what i wanted to get out there all right well does anyone want to kick us off about the hockey side of this because obviously hockey has a big problem in terms of race uh and this is something we wanted to talk about before i think like a couple episodes we like mentioned it and then afterwards we talked about let's dedicate an episode to this and it seems like the perfect time to yeah i mean it, it's not like there's ever been a break in racism in hockey uh but i feel like it's been especially forefront of the news this past year and especially this off season with uh the whole bill peters firing uh based on 
stories of racism and uh, Akeem Alou's story, um, Ke'Andre Miller and what he went through on that live stream. It, there's just, and it, it goes all the way back to JT Brown and his, uh, his protests, um, John Tortorella having negative things to say about that. Um, and I, I mean, we've, we touched on it after Akimalu's uh, article came out, and that was before all of these protests started. And I, I feel like it's really been thrust into the fore as in the NHL because it's such a white sport, um, and the personalities are so stifled, and people are uh, players are are so afraid to say anything. So it's been encouraging to see big star players like Steven Stamkos and Tyler Sagan step up and say stuff. And the, I'm not going to mention everybody who wrote a statement, but those two are two of the like early good ones that I, that I remember. And uh, seeing that, and I'm not sure whether they spurred on the whole thing in, in the NHL of players, but I mean, having that kind of a platform and saying stuff like that is very important. But at the same time, we have to not, like prop up anybody who does that as being like a this excellent person because they did what they're supposed to do and then we get to what the nhl did a couple days ago with the tyler sagan video where they showed him out at protests and apparently this was without his consent i I don't know if that's true or not but he said that they didn't ask him for for permission to do that um but yeah, it's, it, it just goes to show that even though there is change and you're seeing tangible change in the culture right now, which is great, uh, there's still this level of tone deafness, which I assume comes with just fucking decades of completely ignoring the issue. And um, it's kind of this weird dichotomy where I'm like, all right, I'm like, it's nice to see, but also you see things like the bare minimum from the New York Islanders and even less than the bare minimum from the New York Rangers after they basically got bullied into making a statement, which was enough, which wasn't even enough to fill up a whole tweet. Um, yeah, so there's a lot going on. Um, I have many thoughts, but (laughs) I'd love to see what you guys are feeling. Yeah, I think, uh, a big problem with it isn't just exactly with players and such it's also just around the whole sport if you if you go to a hockey arena you see the crowd it is almost entirely white and at least the games i've gone to and i would hazard a guess it's like that everywhere um and it's yeah it's obviously an issue within the locker room in a lot of these cases with players with coaches with management um, but I think it's the entire sport, what it's surrounded by. And I mean, from a cultural standpoint, a little bit of it makes sense. If you look at the countries that hockey is popular in, they are very primarily white countries, uh, Scandinavia, parts of Europe, here in North America, Canada. Um, and it's about also, I think, trying harder to bring a more diverse crowd to hockey um 
and bring the game to these places. Because if you look at, uh, like, baseball, for example, it was a very white sport, obviously. There's a lot of racism there. You can look at the history there. And they brought the sport to all of these different countries. Um, and now you see a good amount of players from all these other places. Um, and they really grew the game in that aspect, whereas hockey really hasn't. And I think that is like a symptom of it uh, or partial cause. It's just such a white sport. Um, and I don't think it should be that way because it's an amazing sport that I think no matter what your background is, you will love and be entertaining, entertained by it. But I don't think the NHL has really done a great job in trying to get to that crowd. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there are um, a lot of barriers that keep people from playing hockey, whether it's cultural, whether it's economic. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of people say it, and it's true, that, that sports are a reflection of society, right? And that's that's true in, in all of the leagues around the world, but you look at the NHL, and it's a pretty good example of that. I mean... There's a reason that there's, you know, such small uh, minority representation in the NHL. And, and like Drew said, they haven't done a great job of addressing that uh, in the past. And it looks like they're starting to make some steps to do that, as are uh, some former players and current players um, kind of on their own. And now it looks like with the help of the league. But I want to go back to something that Chris talked about a little bit. Um, I forget if it was last episode a couple weeks ago um just about hockey culture um and how it is so kind of one-sided and you're kind of taught to buy into this kind of mold of of a culture not just within you know you know diversity wise and like that but just in the way that you handle yourself um and when i read the statement from patrice bergeron uh, in his opening paragraph, I thought exactly of, about what Chris had said because um, Bergeron says, quote, as hockey players, we have a tendency to do our business while staying quiet without wanting to make too much noise. It's in our culture. And that made me think exactly about what Chris had to say on the pod a couple weeks ago um, and and recognizing that and breaking that culture of of staying in the background. And, and you know, Patrice Bergeron is a guy who very much lets his his actions do the talking. He's not very outspoken about really anything, and to see him recognize that and and recognize that it's not just him, but it's something that um, you know the sport has as a whole. This culture of of staying quiet about these things needs to change. Um, so hopefully that's something. Again, you need to put actions to words, and and Bergeron has he donated fifty thousand dollars to a couple different organizations. Um, to, you know, start putting some, you know, literally his money where his mouth is, I guess, but um, it, it has to go beyond that, too. Um, and, and it kind of, you know, I guess I, what I'm trying to say is that first step of, of recognizing that there is a problem with hockey's culture, and that's exactly what Akeem Alou addressed in his Players' Tribune article. Um, that's, that's the first step with regards to, I guess, sports. I have some other stuff to say, but for you know, the sake of keeping it on this topic, if you guys have anything else, you can bounce around on that. Good. 
right. Um, one other thing I just want to jump in with quick. <laughs> we talked a little bit about uh, this has been really awesome, at least you know for me to see is just how I'm a huge soccer fan, as you guys probably know, and I know Chris is too. Um, seeing the most international sport in the world, how much steam this has picked up has been just absolutely fucking amazing. Um, whether it's the Bundesliga people or teams wearing jerseys, uh, the Premier League said when they come back, they're going to be wearing jerseys supporting uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Just recognizing that this is obviously a global issue, but one that is very, very American um, in our country's history. With And uh, like I said, the, the kind of lifelong stain that our nation has had with regards to racism, watching people outside the U.S., stand up and say enough is enough we have a platform too and even though we are not in the United States we're going to use our platform for the better that's been really awesome and I think that's kind of what we were mentioning earlier at least in my lifetime um, I've never seen you know this this movement pick up this much speed it's kind of been in little bumps and it kind of fades away and it seems like really it's it's taking on the global limelight which is is so important because it's not just us in the United States the world is watching and you know how we handle this over the next few years decades is going to say a lot about um you know whether or not our country really has the chops that we say we do well said Ken. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what American sports do. I know the NFL kind of, in their statements, walked back on, you know, Roger Goodell was, was talking about how it was the wrong move to kind of chastise Kaepernick for, you know, his peaceful protests and that sort of thing. Um, obviously, like I said, across the pond, we've seen European soccer clubs and stuff like that really address this head-on. Um, I'm really interested to see what... American sports do once they come back, you know, fans or not, um, to kind of address this because there's been a lot of talk. And again, I want to see action. Yeah, I I recall, oh, I forget who it was now. I know it was outside of the New England Patriots, but someone I saw an article pop up about. But I think it was like a government person. I don't know what level, but they were saying they want to see the. He hopes the Patriots will sign Kaepernick, or at the very least, somebody does. Um, it was uh, it was a Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, which one? Oh, it was probably the one that's a senator. Uh, I see. Even I need to do my research on government <laughs> more. Uh, we all do, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what goes on with Kaepernick because I mean, a lot of this movement. If you've seen any protests, they're taking a knee, which was obviously the very visual and kind of the start of it coming to the forefront this issue uh Kaepernick's protests and many other NFL players went along with it um I'd be interested to see what what they do with that um yeah with Kaepernick because even I think last year he was you know being scouted he did his own like training camp kind of thing and there were NFL scouts looking at him uh and I wonder if a part of the reason was not just you know he's been out of the game for a little bit but also just that fear like oh what if there's what if he's trying to get political again and like we don't want that i i hope if that's the case some teams overlook that and might bring him aboard yeah i'm interested to see uh national anthems um Mm. how many players how many fans are gonna be kneeling um it'll be interesting to see if that that picks up even more steam 
Um, I know there was the big Drew Brees thing where Drew Brees came out and said he'll never support anyone kneeling for the anthem, and then Malcolm Jenkins kind of tuned him up. and A bunch of people uh, did, yeah. Really, especially Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah. He posted like a four-minute video that was absolutely heartbreaking, and uh, Drew Brees immediately came back the next day and said, I'm sorry, but depends on whether you how much stock you put in that apology i don't really i feel like he already showed his colors but yeah. whether um, it's publicity or yeah actually um, meaning it um martellus bennett had a really good response to that if you go back and, and look up that thread that he posted about racism in in the nfl with vic fangio saying that racism didn't exist and this culture with white owners uh, hiring white GMs who hire white coaches who have this like dad complex where they, they're tough on the black players, but it's okay because I love them like a son. And uh, that was a, another really good, really heartbreaking thing to read. But I, I learned a lot about how the NFL works and how players view their situations. Yeah, and kind of going off the Brees thing, um, I mean, obviously his original comment was just so far off and just kind of the peak example of, of close-mindedness and just not recognizing that you as a white NFL quarterback do not have the same experience as so many people in this country. Um, and again, I think obviously people are going to question how sincere his apology was. I mean, I would love to see him take a knee this fall. And with his teammates, mm. I think, you know, not that that's solves the problem or anything or proves that he's a good person, but I would like to see him really put his money where his mouth is and kind of make that public statement and saying, I do recognize that I was off and here's me proving it in one sense. Obviously you want to see more than just the knee, but, um, but on that same note, I think people who maybe not to the same extent, but had similar feelings about kneeling during the national anthem, especially when the Kaepernick stuff started a couple of years ago. I think it's important for those people to recognize that they can change and that just because you felt that way a couple of years ago and maybe back then for better or for worse, for worse, obviously, I guess, you weren't willing to really divest the time and the effort to understand why Colin Kaepernick was kneeling and and the really complex uh, reality that you know is race in America. Um, but there's nothing you can do about that now. But you can be better in the future, and you can put in that time and effort now. And even if you were against it years ago or are against it right now, that doesn't mean you can't change and. Put in the effort, try to understand what's going on, why this is happening. Di- like detach yourself from the like Fox Troops argument. It's just not like it's not a disrespectful thing to the troops. That's not ever what this has been about. And I think a lot of people kind of sweep it under the rug by saying, Oh, you know, people fight and die for that flag and it's a symbol of all of that. Well, it's a symbol of freedom and justice for everyone, and the reason that Colin Kaepernick is kneeling is to bring attention to that the things that that flag stands for are not the realities of this country. Um, and 
for people who maybe were against that because they haven't understood the complexities of that, you can change. And now is the time or in the future to to do that and to, you know, to be better, I guess is what I'm saying, is, is just because you didn't want to put in the effort another time doesn't mean you can't change and be better now. And I guess I'm you, Drew Brees is my example where, again, he's saying... He's saying these words, and he's he's saying that he's going to be better about it, and that he recognizes it now. We'll see whether that was just a publicity stunt or whatever. But even someone like Drew Brees, um, obviously, I think he got a lot of slack for it, and rightfully so because he was so far off the mark. But give him a chance now. Let's see what he does, and hopefully, he can change for the better. I think. Um... <clears throat> Another thing, and it's kind of going back to just in general in terms of, uh, you know, you want to, you want to learn these other points of views, um, and I think that's important. And social media is not the place to actually have those conversations. It becomes a shouting match. And what I encourage people to do is talk one on one in person, whether it's a member of your family or a friend who has a different view. A, a, about anything whether it's about this topic that we're talking about or something else political the it where you make progress is when you actually have those discussions and debates no matter how uncomfortable it is that's when you can kind of actually see the other side and it isn't just articles it isn't just uh sending links it isn't just 180 characters going back and forth of your beliefs uh i think that's really important and that's how people can learn and grow not just with facts and such but the emotion behind these people's arguments against or for whatever it is so those are uncomfortable conversations for sure but they're important if you actually want to educate yourself and see why someone might oppose with your view on something yeah definitely um chris do you have anything to jump in with regards to this, I have another thing I want to kind of transition to and quick, but all right. Um, one thing that I saw, which I was really happy about. And, um, again, it's just words right now, so we'll see how it pans out. But, um, for baseball fans out there, obviously probably a lot of Red Sox fans, if you're Bruins fans, listening to this podcast, um, probably saw the comments that Tory Hunter made about you know why he kept Boston off uh, pretty much off his radar for you know where he was going to go for his career because of uh, a history of of racism at Fenway Park and and in Boston that mm-hmm. he experienced and other players have experienced and I thought it was great that the Red Sox who could have just ignored that um, and and swept it under the rug I mean that's and that's happened in the past players have come out about this and and talked about racial issues at Fenway. And that's not to say that Fenway Park is the only place where racism happens in baseball. Again, it's something that happens all over the place, but it's been particularly um, visible, I guess, at Fenway Park in the past. And the Red Sox put out a statement pretty much addressing that and saying, you know, this is real. And they, I think they said, I forget the exact numbers, so, you know, don't kill me if I'm wrong here, but I believe they said there were seven reported incidents last year alone at Fenway Park with uh, where they were alerted um, about, you know, fans using racist language or slurs or anything like that, um, or so-called fans. Um, 
And I think it was good on the Red Sox for finally acknowledging that and, um, you know, saying that they're going to make an effort and, you know, more of an effort to make sure that has no place um, in the ballpark, which is important. And to me, that's just the kind of thing that, again, like I said, this is not something new. For several years, people have, have talked about racist problems at Fenway, and it's something that, from what I've seen, the Red Sox haven't addressed publicly. I know Torrey Hunter said um, that he met with you know Red Sox leadership when it happened, and they were open-minded about it and talked to him about the issue and that sort of thing. Um, but to see them kind of go out of their way to publicly address this on Twitter and say, look, this is a real problem. People need to understand this, and we're going to do something about it was really great. Um, from an organizational standpoint, I thought they handled that really well, and I saw Tory Hunter responded thanking them and saying, like, yeah, I appreciate this, and obviously there's no baseball being played right now, and with how it looks between MLB and the MLBPA, it doesn't look like we'll get it soon, but um, when when baseball does come back, I hope, uh, you know, the Red Sox and everybody at Fenway Park really puts their money where their mouth is there and and makes a, a strong effort to, to make that change and have a, a better future at Fenway. I just wanted to say really quick, Kevin Euclid also spoke out about witnessing that kind of mm-hmm. stuff with teammates as well, not just opposing players, which doesn't make it any worse or better. It shouldn't be happening, but... And not even just yeah, players, yeah, too. like staff and stuff like that too. Yeah. And this harkens back to something that I was talking about earlier. One of the reactions I saw... Um, when I, a bunch of players came out uh, a couple of years ago calling out Boston fans in Fenway in particular about being racist. One of the initial reactions was that a lot of fans got defensive and were saying, well, not, not all Boston fans are like this. Not, it's just a few bad apples. And that's not the proper reaction to have. And the Red Sox not addressing it publicly until now enabled that behavior to continue. So yeah, it's good that they're, they're addressing it, but it's, it's late and Mm, this is a good first step, but they, as you said, Cam, they got to follow through and they got to put their money where their mouth is and keep doing stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely late. Um, you know, like I said, this is like both of us said, this has been going on for years. Um, but, I think them doing something about it now kind of shows how much momentum this is picking up because this is a problem, again, that they could have ignored as they have in the past. And to see a you know an organization and a brand as large as the Red Sox finally address this, and you know I'm hoping for any similar situations that other teams, and not even just in sports, but just companies, organizations, whatever finally making that step to address this is such a critical first step and like we've said a bunch of times words are words they can only do so much so let's see some action but the fact that we're finally seeing this kind of thing be addressed is is so important and it it is it's the first step in the right direction with a long path to go but it is that first step and i think uh, for sports fans how you can help is just if you hear that sort of language being used if, if if you see something say something report it like don't be afraid oh that person's going to be mad did i hear them right whatever Re- report it that's what you can do to help and it's gonna slowly but surely get it out of these stadiums this racist language and just racism in general 
of people, of sports fans in the arenas and such. Uh, that's how you can do your part. If you're witnessing it, report it to any staff member at the arena and they can relay it to the right person and get that guy out of there. Um, yeah. Uh, I think one thing we should mention uh, before we, I guess, transition out of this Um I'm trying to find the name of the coalition that they formed, but a lot of black hockey players yeah, got together and I formed an it's official... It's the uh, formation of the Hockey Diversity Alliance. I have it pulled mm. up here. Um, they have appointed, it says, Akeem Alou, Evander Kane as the co-heads and executive committee will include Trevor Daly, Matt Dumba, uh, Wayne Simmons, Chris Stewart, and Joel Ward. Um, that was from their initial post that they made on the 8th. Yeah. Um, I know they have said that this is just, that this is pretty much the founding group, that it's not going to be limited to that. They're going to bring in a lot more voices. Um, I think they've since added Soroya Tinker uh, of the NWHL mm-hmm. and at least have some sort of relationship with the Black Girl Hockey Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there there was some criticism that came out initially because it is important to be intersectional when you're uh, when you're dealing with these issues. Uh, black women are disproportionately uh, discriminated against, uh, and when you're talking about black people in general, not remembering to include black women is also a huge deal. Um, so, them responding that responding to that quickly and and adding black women voices to their cause is really important yeah and i don't know the details but i believe um they said that uh they have been in contact with the nhl about working together i know they said pretty much right off the bat that um this was independent of the league but that they were hoping to work with the national hockey league together on this issue and i i believe they have i'm not sure if anything specific has been hammered out but i know that they've been in contact with the league and that I believe was pretty well received in that sort of thing. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And, and to be honest with you, I'm not really sure about other sports, whether there are other sports that have, you know, this sort of thing uh, with regards to current and, and former players and stuff. But this is something that really, you know, other leagues should, should take note of and, and consider doing because it is, you know, such an important thing. And especially for hockey, like we've discussed, is such an overwhelmingly white sport. It's probably more important in hockey than it is in any other sport right now. Definitely, uh, you know, another step in the right direction, and and hopefully, uh, this permeates beyond hockey and just into society as a whole. You saying that reminded me. Uh, I'm not a NASCAR fan, so mm-hmm. I don't know a whole lot about mm-hmm. it. But them uh, banning Confederate flags way way too late yeah which is shocking um, the, the, even yeah. the army dude the military it's the yeah the navy just banned it so we were talking about this How? last night um i work for the navy and uh i was talking with one of my buddies who's in the navy there i believe the mississippi flag has within it a confederate flag um so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. But it's, yeah, it's good to see that they're, I mean, taking does, yeah. these long overdue steps, but it, it's something. And I, yeah. I, I don't want to get like carried away with this, <clears throat> but 
the fact that Confederate flags were allowed at U.S. military bases. That is the flag of a a like nation basically is a revolution from the south but a nation that you fought they are a former enemy i don't want to get carried away with that but that's what i will say chris i just googled this because i did not know the mississippi flag and that's a blatant confederate flag mm-hmm. in the top left corner that i'm reading this from mississippitoday.org but it looks like a group of Let's see. A bipartisan group of House members began whipping votes and drafting legislation to remove this current state flag. Um, they say they're halfway there to getting the votes needed to change the flag already. So, nice. again, it's not like that's going to like solve racism in Mississippi, but it's like it's such an easy first step of like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be flying a flag that has a blatantly racist history. Like, yeah. it's such a simple change to just like knock out that symbolism and again it's not gonna solve too many problems or anything but you know i i mean i can't even imagine you know again uh, we're we're all white people and stuff and when i see somebody walking with a confederate flag or anything like that it's just like you know i first of all i have no respect for you but it's like it's just like yeah it's like this guy's a fucking idiot or an asshole or both and and all that but (laughs) You know, I, I I can't imagine what that's like as a black person. Like it's that's gotta be scary. You know what I mean? That's just somebody yeah. pretty much toting, "Hey, I'm a racist, and I don't like you because of the color of your skin," without even opening their mouth. And mm-hmm. again, for me, it disgusts me as a white person, and I can't even really begin to imagine, you know, how that feels for somebody who's black. And and that's kind of the experience that you know it's it's not just about confederate flags that's really what this whole thing is about right is 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 we don't understand you don't even think about it and to jump back to i guess our earlier conversations like throughout the last couple of weeks i've really been trying to pay attention to that where it's like how would i feel in this situation if i weren't a middle class white man like and it's you know, it's not something that I was totally deaf to before, but it's something that I've really gone out of my way to think about over the last couple of weeks, and I still don't know. I never will, but it's still even eye-opening just to realize in how many situations where it's like, hey, yeah, you know what? I probably wouldn't be 100% comfortable right now if I weren't who I am, and, and that's that's what needs to change. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, something like as, as simple as switching the Mississippi flag is, is a, again, a step in that direction where it's like, Hey, let's just not, <laughs> let's not fly a racist flag on top of the state house. Pretty simple first step. <laughs> um, if there, is there anything more about race and hockey that you guys want to talk about? Cause there is one big piece of hockey news that perhaps ending with would be good. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, I'm down. Let's do it. July 10th. Woo-woo. You looking forward to July 10th? Do you know why you should look forward to July 10th? Please tell because us. Because the NHL and NHLPA agreed as July 10th as the start date for training camps. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is an article by Joe Haggerty. Oh, he's our favorite. <laughs> That's the best sports writer. I, I don't know if it's real or not. <laughs> now. Um, but uh, maybe July Clickbait. <laughs> no, but... Uh, so, I don't want it to like overshadow everything we discussed, but I felt like we should mention July yeah. 10th could be a good day, Certainly. and hopefully we see more change by then, and at that point, even more. Yeah, um, I think 
for next week. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we'll be back to uh, hopefully more of our, our normal vibe for the podcast. There is yeah. a good amount to and, talk and I about do, with hockey. I with, do want to continue to interweave this yeah, conversation no, absolutely. into yeah. our yeah. conversations and make sure that this isn't something that's a fleeting, ephemeral thought yeah. and turns into something that we can continue to talk about. Yeah, yeah definitely. But um, you know, next week we'll have... There's been a decent amount, like the July 10th thing with the NHL confirming reseeding, um, Bruins doing optional workouts again. There's a lot of hockey that um, we will get back around to next week. So, um, like Chris said, this will be a continuing conversation, as it should be. That's what we've talked about the whole time, that this can't just be a one-hit wonder here. We have to keep this going forever. That's that's how this works. Um, but, you know... We are a podcast where we drink beer and talk about hockey, and we will also get back to that too. So, I know Chris tweeted out some stuff last week of some other resources. Do we want to end by pointing people towards some of those other things they can look at to kind of widen their their perspective? Yeah, I mean, I'm currently listening to a podcast series called 1619 uh, by the New York Times, which goes back through history starting at slavery and kind of tackles everything that's led up to this system that we're currently participating in and it's illuminating i mean i think we all know that the things that we were taught in school uh aren't always true and in sometimes sometimes they're very false um but i i knew before this that Abraham Lincoln, perhaps not the best guy, but he gets a reputation as the great emancipator. And yeah, sure. He, he signed the emancipation proclamation. Um, and, but uh, there were political reasons for that. And yeah. taking the, the mm-hmm. working power from, uh, the South, which was producing, uh, which was getting most of, if not all of their economic power from yep. slavery uh, and taking that away from them was a huge way to turn the war in the North's favor. Um, and then uh, this podcast goes on to talk about music and how a lot of things like country music and other things we consider to be more white um, were originally started by black people and, and I'll, all throughout history, things have been co-opted by white people and, and stolen. And uh, these are just important things to know. Um, so that's 1619, this podcast. Um, and then uh, also been listening to Pod Save the People. Uh, there's some good stuff on... Uh, th- there's an episode specifically um, called What Science Says About Police uh, that was released on Tuesday. Um, and that's for more, like, fact-based people uh if, if you want like real backing data on on things like police brutality and studies that have shown why this happens and how it could be prevented then there you go that's a good one thank you very much for listening to this episode we hope you took something from it whether it's something you can change yourself maybe learned something new um and as chris said earlier we also want to hear from you if we messed anything up or 
spoke out of bounds about anything uh at brews and bruins on twitter uh unless it's something racist yeah if it's racist then we're just gonna flag it and you're gonna get reported and kicked off twitter for a bit not and also not only if we fucked up but just if you have anything (laughs) non-racist again if you have (laughs) something productive to say that you know if, if something that we discussed gave you some thoughts that you want to share please we are we do this to have back and forth, you know, it's, that's what this mm-hmm. is all about. And we are, we will, all, we're not big popular Twitter star people. You tweet at us, we will respond to you. So as well, long as well, it's actually reasonable. I hit a thousand followers. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. all right, Drew's a big guy, but everybody else. lost in the shuffle. Yeah. <laughs> we are. Yeah. I think it's also, also important. Uh, if you, if you're having this conversation on, a in a public forum, like Twitter, where I, Drew was saying, like, maybe that's not the best place to have it. But if you're having it with us and it's a good discourse, like, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, it's not it's not something we'll frown upon. So, yeah. by all Just means. Just don't get into a shouting match yeah. with people on Twitter. But uh, productive conversations can't come of that if both parties try. So. For sure. So, I guess with that, thank you very much for listening. And we will see you, hopefully, episode 19 next week. See you later.